Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The motto of the New York Times is, all the news that's fit to print. At my high school, Lake Orion High School downstate, I was part of the school newspaper, The Archer, and we had our own spin on that motto. We said, all the news that fits, we print. And what's kind of funny is that St. John actually is a little bit closer to my high school paper in terms of what he includes in his gospel account. At the end of chapter 21, he writes this. There are also many other... Oops. There we go. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, what John includes in his gospel account is only the tip of the iceberg, the signs that Jesus did, the words that he spoke. Of all that he could have included, John includes just the littlest bit, which raises an interesting question. Because as we've seen, especially over the last few weeks, John will include these curious little details. Details that you you wouldn't think would have made the cut necessarily if you had, like he says, just a, a, a little slice of a much larger pie. And there's one of those details that really stands out to me that we heard in today's gospel. Maybe it stood out to you too. The disciples, they have this miraculous catch of fish, thanks to Jesus. I love it. Jesus says, put the net on the right side of the boat. Probably opposite of left, but I'd like to imagine him saying, no, put it on the right side of the boat. You've had it on the wrong one this whole time. (laughs) Clearly. Thank you, Jesus. But did you catch this? John includes precisely how many fish they caught. 153 large fish. He doesn't say they caught a lot of fish. He doesn't say they caught a hundred or so. He includes exactly 153 large fish. And you say, Pastor, so what? Okay? So they caught 153 fish. John includes it. What's it matter? Well, look, if John is the kind of writer that we have seen him to be, that when he includes something, it matters. He's got a lot of stuff that he could insert and include in his gospel account. If he puts this detail in there, it can't be for nothing. And in fact, I do think that there's a profound purpose for why John includes this 153. And when we grasp why that is, it speaks to the significance and the work of the gospel in your life and in mine. So then, why 153? Well, there's different answers that could be given and that that have been given. So, for instance, some people would say, why 153? Well, John is just being a good journalist. He included 153 fish because they caught 153 fish. And to be fair, as you look throughout his gospel, he does seem to have a thing for numbers in those details. He mentions how many water jars there were when Jesus changed water into wine. There were six. He mentions exactly how many days it was when Lazarus was uh, raised from the dead. Four. He likes to include those little details. It's true. But I think you would agree with me that it's one thing to say six water jars or four days that you were dead. (laughs) And it's another thing to say 
153 large fish. That means that they are over there on the beach counting out all of the fish, right? Sorting it out. So yes, John is giving us an accurate reporting here. I'm not saying that he's giving us a, a fish story or something like that. Hey, uh, this is a true account, okay? But there's got to be more to it. Well, so other people will say, okay, there's 153, John says. That number must have some hidden symbolic meaning. That's why he includes it. And actually, among early Christians, this was a really popular mode of interpretation. One of the greatest uh, early teachers of the church is a guy named St. Augustine. You've heard me mention him before. And St. Augustine took this tack. He said, if you add up all the numbers serially up to 17, in other words, 1 plus 2 plus 3, all the way up to 17, it adds up to 153. And you're like, yeah, and? Well, Augustine would say, wait, 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 no. Okay, so 10 signifies the Ten Commandments and God's Old Testament people. And seven signifies the Holy Spirit and God's New Testament people. Ten plus seven equals 17, and 17 in serial addition adds up to 153. So there you go, obviously, right? <clears throat> now, I'm always loath to disagree with these great leaders of the church like St. Augustine, but I think you'll agree with me in this case, that's probably just going a little bit too far, Right? There's just a few too many contortions here. So respectfully, we're going to reject that response as well. Okay, so why 153? Why include this? Let me give you one more answer. And to get at it, I want to give you some other numbers. You ready for this? Get your pencils ready? No, I'm just kidding. 7, 6, 22, 11, 45. Those are your winning lottery numbers. Go home. You can bank on it tonight. <laughs> 7, 6, 22, 11, 45. No. These numbers have a very um, personal meaning to me. See, those are the vital digits of my firstborn son, Sam. He was, I know, oh, <laughs> what a good dad. He's not here in church today. I kicked him out. But <clears throat> he's with grandma, so I'm happy to tell a nice story about him. Uh, seven pounds, six ounces, 22 inches long. He was born at 11.45 p.m. Why do I remember this mundane little bit of info? And why do you? I mean, not about Sam. That would be weird if you knew Sam's. Then. But I mean, if you have kids, if, if your own kids or even your grandkids, why do we remember this stuff? Even though it would seem to be just trivia. Well, I would submit to you that it's because here we have a kind of shorthand for life before and life after. In other words, those numbers, that mundane little bit of info, it's like a numerical snapshot of a moment in your life that changed everything. You with me? It's like a numerical snapshot of a moment in your life that changed everything. And I would submit to you that something similar is going on in our gospel reading today. Because you have to notice at first, it seems like nothing has changed for the disciples. They are still out there fishing. 
just like old times. They're still not catching anything, also like old times, right? And nothing seems to have changed. And why is that? I mean, it's kind of bizarre when you think about it. This reading, John 21, comes after John 20, which is when the resurrection happened, right? Uh, already, Jesus is risen from the dead. Already, like we saw last week, he has sent out his disciples with this commission. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you to be instruments of shalom, as we said last week. To be fishers of men out in the world. And here, they aren't even fishers of fish. These are the guys who, even on the day of resurrection, they were locked up fearfully behind closed doors. They still aren't getting it. It's like they still have this this fearful preference for the familiar, that the gospel in some way hasn't totally sunk into their bones and into into their hearts and souls, and so they're just going back to what they always did, going fishing. But then, then they suddenly find themselves hauling aboard, hauling ashore this giant catch of fish. And it's like in that moment, it all just clicks. This is what Jesus had been telling them all along. That they, in themselves, they couldn't catch a thing, right? In themselves, they are failed missionaries. But Jesus had said, unless the Father himself draws a person, he will never come to God. Jesus had said that when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. He's the one who will do it. And now as these poor fishermen find themselves dragging a net full of 153 large fish onto the shore, it's like it all makes sense. This is what he had been saying to us all along. See, Jesus isn't only the good shepherd, which we know him to be. He's also the good fisherman. He's the one in charge of the mission. He's the one gathering the sheep, drawing in the fish. You and I, those first disciples, we are simply his servants who are given the gracious task of of drawing the net onto shore. This here, these 153 It's like a numerical snapshot of this moment that changed everything for the disciples. Just like I remember the vital digits of my son, Sam. And it really does, too. It really did change for them. Because when we see the disciples next in the book of Acts, they are not fearful, timid, failed missionaries. They are intrepid, confident missionaries. In the book of Acts, they are going out proclaiming the word of God to anyone and everyone. They're dropping the nets all over the place, even uh, with disregard for their own lives and what it's going to cost them to preach because now that message has sunk into them. They know that it's not up to them, that Christ is the good fisherman. I like to imagine sometime later, this is not in the Bible, this is just pastor's own strange imagination, but... You can imagine the disciples maybe years later, maybe with another fire on the beach, sitting around telling stories and saying, hey, yeah, remember that time we were fishing after the resurrection and we weren't catching a thing. Isn't that right, Peter? We weren't catching a thing. 
But then, then Jesus is like, hey, put it on the right side of the boat. We put it down. And the next thing you know, we were catching. Oh, the ship almost sank. We had so many fish. And John, John, tell him, how many fish was it? A hundred and fifty-three. How did we ever doubt the Lord? Maybe you've had those moments in your life too. Those moments when suddenly the light bulb goes on and you realize, oh, how could I have doubted the Lord? And maybe it's even been specifically those times when you feel like a failed missionary. Like you just can't quite get the words out. You can't uh, um, speak of Christ and his gospel in the way that you want to. But then suddenly you realize, oh, I wasn't in charge of this at all. I had a moment like that. And it was, it was while I was overseas doing mission work with LCMS World Mission. And I was feeling like a failed missionary. See, I lived in this apartment that had a doorman. And you're thinking, ooh, pastor, fancy apartment missionary guy. I assure you, this place was a dump. But for whatever reason, it had a doorman. And he was the most interesting guy. Call him Phil. And Phil, he was the most intellectual doorman you have ever met. He didn't have a computer or an email or anything. He just read books all the time. Middle-aged guy, reading constantly, taught himself English. I would see him reading Walt Whitman, reading Leaves of Grass in English. Out there like, this is not your usual doorman. He was not a Christian. He was a Buddhist. But he was very intellectually uh, and spiritually curious and, and open to having these conversations. And so day after day, I would come home and I would have these conversations with Phil. We'd talk about life. We'd talk about faith, the claims of Christianity. We'd talk about Jesus, right? Day after day, I'm throwing the net out there, right? Trying to bring this fish in. And nothing. Nothing. So after almost a year of this, it's finally time for me to come back to the States. And Phil still hadn't come to faith. And I was feeling so dejected. I was feeling like such a failure. Like, I must be doing something wrong here, right? If I'm supposed to be a missionary out here and, and bringing uh, people in, a fisher of men, why can't I, I do it? Let me give you one more number, four, as in four years. Four years later, I get this email, and it's from an email address that I don't recognize. I almost put it right into the spam folder, but for whatever reason, I decide to open it, and it's from Phil. He had to go down to the library and create an email address just so that he could email me to say, Dear Ryan, I've become a Christian. I want to be baptized. I need to find a church. Can you help me? Sincerely, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment, as I'm you know, pulling the net ashore with Phil in it, I'm thinking, oh, how could I have ever doubted the good fisherman. It was his work all along in his time. And you and I, we're in the same place. John includes that 153, and I'm glad that he did. Because it's a reminder to all of us that it is not up to us. Christ is the one in charge of the mission. And he has not only loved you, accepted you, forgiven you, he has also sent you in the power of the Spirit to cast those nets, the nets that he will fill 
Friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And that changes everything. You can count on it. Amen. We stand to sing.